the bit where one of us has to start the show. I think I think it is. Yeah, isn't that what normally yeah, what, happens? But it's not normally one of us. That's the... see, one one of us like has to start talking, and then like hopefully a show comes out of that. But like, it's the awkward uncharted territory. You I never don't know... know what's happening here. I'm so confused. We're we're lost and alone. We're not we're not meant for this. No, we we are not intended to introduce podcasts. Or this podcast, at any rate. Uh, quick, look around, look around for some bullshit to, to, to spin some nonsense about. Uh, uh, I've got a, a bottle of isopropyl alcohol. Um... Uh, what, what if we, what if we joked it was cum? Oh. Oh, shit! That's a position intro. Sorry, you had me at cum. Uh, hello, everyone. <laughs> I was a little distracted playing Tears of the Kingdom, uh, but then, uh, you mentioned... Tears of the Ding Dong, and now I'm here. Uh, right, welcome everyone to come. Um, I'd like to ask my my lovely co-hosts uh, what it is about come uh, that they enjoy. Uh, for me, it's the viscosity. Obviously, you all know me. I'm a I'm a fiend for viscosity. Uh, well, see, I'd say the element of surprise is you know. <laughs> It's always a bit of a shock, even if you know it's coming. Pardon the the expression. (laughs) Uh, It is always a bit of a surprise. I'm always like, oh, come. Conrad, you got any thoughts on semen? (laughs) I have many thoughts on them. Or on it. Yeah, I have lots lots of thoughts on semen. Hmm. But they're all very like specific to me in a way that I question if it's wise to say them aloud. <laughs> ah. Like, am I going to make some comment about cum and then everyone's going to know I have weird cum? I mean, it, <laughs> I have heard that your cum is so specific that to detail any of it is akin to doxing. Or in, in your in your case, <laughs> coxing. coxing. Uh, yes. You can literally be pinpointed on a map by, <laughs> by the briefest description of your issue. Yeah. You're, you're going to give, like, a one-word description of the colour, and we're going to be like, what the fuck are you on about, Well, yeah, sir? it's because it's got that very specific uh, radioactive isotope that, uh, mm. you know, means it could be located just by proximity anywhere on Earth. And it's a danger to me and my loved ones, so I'm really going to have to keep that on the down low. God, you're saying that, and it's now making me think of, I don't know if it's a real Spider-Man comic that exists or just a joke that the internet made, but I'm pretty sure there's a Spider-Man comic about... Gwen Stacy getting cancer because Spider Man has radioactive cum. Uh, I believe That's, I heard. I remember that. that sounds did you? Right, yeah, yeah, I think. Did yeah, you hear the recent yeah. one? Did you see the recent one going around? The retcon they've done, where Norman Osborn, like, f- I think, fucked Gwen Stacy or something, and it was all very uncomfortable and a little bit sort of non-con, and and it. <laughs> so they've retconned it by saying he fucked Mysterio. <laughs> <laughs> it was Mysterio in disguise. <laughs> Oh my god! Just, oh, comic. Just the fucking idea. love you, comic books. I, oh god, I love that. Uh, oh, uh, yeah. So, so, uh, so Conrad's got special cum. The Green Goblin <laughs> fucked Mysterio, uh, and uh, I think that's us set up nicely. That's, yeah, yeah that's a podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can wrap up, was... Laura. Uh, what kind of uh, work do you do that people can? Uh, well, one of the one of the work things I do is I record position where I tell you about video games I've played Ooh. and whether they're great or perfect. Oh, oh. yeah! Oh wow, bringing yeah. that one out of the depths. Yeah, 
Look at look at look at that. Uh so yeah, I think there's a video game we've all played this week. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. probably where we're gonna start. The Steph, world is playing is... it. Yeah, this is your first week having thoughts to share about it, Steph. So do you want to chime in about Tears of the Kingdom? Uh, okay. Okay. It is at least as good as the first one. <laughs> yes. To put it diplomatically. I'll tell you what, right? I'm sort of uh, working on drafting my review of it. And let me run a line Mm. from the review by you. Um, Let's have a look. Let's bring that up. I've not actually written it down yet. So I'm just pretending I'm looking it up. Right. I've looked it up. Uh, So here's, here's one of the lines I'm sort of thinking of having as the opening gambit. Um... It would be unprofessional of me to call a game cunty in a review, so I'm not going to do it. Uh-huh. Now, I'm not saying that Tears of the Kingdom is cunty, uh, because I've just specifically said I won't do that right. be- because of the optics. However, uh, no, I'll tell you what, right? Most of my thoughts are exactly what I thought of Breath of the Wild. Exactly. I think for a lot of people, that is going to be where they land. Yeah, well, it's being metabombed at the moment. A lot of people calling it like a, a shitty rehash. Um, I didn't expect that, the backlash. Like, without jumping in too much here, when I like was putting my thoughts together about this, and this was before reviews had gone up, the word I kind of felt like I needed to use for it was divisive, because I really, and I, th- I think I've maybe foreseen correctly on this that there's there's a couple of camps this game is going to fall into i feel exactly the same about it as i do about breath of the wild this is technically a better game but i'm pissed off that they didn't remove the things that i disliked and just sold me new solutions to them or this is amazing it's breath of the wild plus extra that's amazing and like it's really really dividing people into these like little buckets of opinion yeah yeah i i I get the feeling you are right on that i've not properly looked into the metabombing thing yet i am curious but as obviously someone who caught a lot of fucking heat for saying that breath of the wild wasn't perfect which over the years well i say over the years it was almost instant the mimetic impact of giving it a seven is that people think i hate the game which I've always stressed, I didn't hate the game. I liked the game, that's why it didn't get a low score. It's why it got the top half score. Yeah, because we live in a world where anything less than a 7 out of 10 is shit because review scales are kind of fucked. I mean, to the point where there was a Steam review knocking around, I forget which game it was for, but it literally said, this game is terrible. This is one of the worst games I've ever played, do not get it. And... It got a sincere 7 out of 10. Seemingly no joke, because our perspective is so warped that the joke that 7 out of 10 is the lowest score a game could ever get isn't a joke to a lot of people. It's genuine. Tears of the Kingdom, uh, a game I hate. (laughs) Um, No, it is largely the same. When it comes to my review, I won't dress it up. Looking at the things I... I'm liking and disliking. We are looking currently, and I never know until I've actually written it, because I determine a score based on what I've actually written on the page, not my gut feeling. 
But I always have some sort of gut feeling at first, you know, uh, before I see what the words bear out. So ballpark, score-wise, I am looking at anywhere between a 6.5 and a 7.5. I don't think it's it's doing anything uh, that's going to make it drop below that. Conversely, I don't think it's doing anything to go above that. It's... As I said, and, and as as I think we've all sort of uh, said, most criticisms and most praise I have for this game could exactly be taken from Breath of the Wild and transposed onto this because it is so, so much a sequel to that. There are a couple of unique things in this one that I do find notably positive. The first being the obvious one, the weapon fusion system. I like the fusion system. I do like it. I'll fully admit, in terms of addressing the weapon durability, it does an impressive job of partially mitigating a problem that would be solved entirely if they just took it out. (laughs) The fact that they have had to contrive solutions to justify uh, a maligned feature just goes to show that it shouldn't be in there. I just find it more frustrating. Yeah. Now I have a good weapon and a good component. Yeah. And I, yeah. I mean, sure. A lot of components are pretty readily available, but uh, what? I got to go fucking kill another flux construct. You know, I got to go hunt yeah. down some huge bacoblin boss so that I can yeah. have another component on hand. So. Fun fun fact, Conrad. You can repair weapons in this, but it's the most oh, Nintendo God. way possible. The most Nintendo way possible. I yeah. was on stream when Laura dropped this yeah. bombshell so, on me. I, I initially <laughs> thought I discovered weapon repairing in like a sensible way that would have made sense, which is there is a town with an NPC, and this NPC is like, for 20 rupees, I'll detach your material from your weapon and return them to their original state, which to me said repair them they'll they'll be back to their original state no 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 it just detaches the two from them but like doesn't destroy the thing you fused to it here's how you repair weapons oh no no. i know it and i still can't i i'm not prepared to hear this again so go if you go to uh like the gerudo mountain in the top right there are octoroks with little rocks on their head and if you drop a weapon in front of them, they'll suck up the weapon, swirl it about their mouth a bit, spit it out, and it'll be back to full durability. Uh, sometimes with a nice little boost on it as well, like it might have extra durability or a weapon, like a damage buff or something. And each Octorok can do that once per blood moon. So if you like do that and then kill the Octorok you use to repair your weapon, so you know until like a blood moon happens and it respawns, you don't accidentally try and use that one again. That's how you repair weapons. Wow. That is It's very Nintendo. It's very Nintendo. It's one of those things that Nintendo's done that I love and hate at the ex like the exact same amount at the exact same time. I hate how stupid and inconvenient that is and how absurd it is. But I love how Nintendo that is. I love how control Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nintendo is eternally right. committed to the bit and I can't hate that and that's it, the commitment on that I'm going to have to do like a, a video on this I've been meaning to do it ever since Pokemon Let's Go 
and how they forced you to like use motion controls when it was undocked. Um, yes. I've got a real problem with games forcing you to do things instead of incentivizing you because that was one of the big defenses of Breath of the Wild. Oh, it forces you to use all these different weapons. Other games, I use lots of different weapons because they're fun to use, because it's fun to experiment, not because I've been railroaded into it, not because I've been forced into doing it. Um, I j that speaks to a design weakness if you've got to force someone. I'll say this. I have found a place with plenty of Octoroks that I have placed, like... There is a thing you can do to unlock, like, a custom fast travel location. I've just set one up there. I do now have the option to just fast travel, repair weapon, fast travel away. Yeah. Like, I'm not forced to to, to let a weapon get destroyed. Well, you're, it's, you're forced it's not, to do the stupid. I'm forced to engage the with world. the mechanic, sure. I'm forced yeah. to engage with the mechanic. Uh, but I'm, I get I'm it, talking but... about... Like, Breath of the Wild, that was the defence people had, was, you know, oh, it forces you to do something you don't want to do. How how, how, how much fun that is. Um, so I've got a real problem with that. I think some of the issues with Breath of the Wild are the result of the problem of defending a developer from any and all criticism. Sometimes they've got to know when they've done something wrong. Like... Whatever pervert insists that you slip down the walls when it rains. And again, I know there is a way that you can put in a fuckload of effort to um, mitigate that. But the fact that it's there and they sort of almost mean-spiritedly make you do laborious things to undo the problem they gave you. And and yeah, like, I'm... I, putting it out there whoever insists that walls be slippy when when it rains is a pervert of the highest order and should be put <laughs> in a jail and and by jail i mean one spelt with a g g-a-o-l old school jail right next to the debtor's prison that's where they go um where was i going with any of that right yes there is a certain arrogance with some developers who have been told that everything they do is perfect. And I think that's what we've seen. With this, the doubling down of criticised ideas, there is a certain... I, I get this feeling of pride in some of the double-down elements in Tears of the Kingdom. Nintendo's pride as a developer, its refusal to admit that anything could have been wrong because it's got an army of fans that attacked anyone who dared say something was wrong. If your work isn't criticised, you don't know if there's anything to improve. If any critic is shouted down and hounded for daring to point out a flaw, I think it's problematic and bad for art to tell an artist they're perfect. They can do no wrong. That's not how you improve. You know, like, I say this as as, um, as a pro wrestler. I've had people blow smoke up my ass before and tell me, like, I did something perfectly. And I know I fucking didn't. It doesn't help me to, to blow smoke up my ass, to gas me up like that. It doesn't help to defend with that much loyalty. Because that's how we get Tears of the Kingdom, which is so much more divisive, because they literally thought nothing was broke. So not only did they not fix it, they did it harder. Uh, and I think that's an issue. I will push back on that a little. Yeah, sure. In as much as, as someone who did 
enjoy some of those mechanics. I'm not saying it is wrong to criticise those elements if you do not like them, but I think there is also something to be said for there are people who did like those mechanics, and undoubtedly, like, there are people who are like, I like that it is the way it is, and Nintendo is somewhat in a position of probably being aware that these are divisive elements and going, we don't want to be seen to be backtracking on things that we did that people liked, but we want to try and change them in ways that will mitigate people disliking them in the future. And I feel like that, like, I don't feel like they're unaware of the criticisms. Mm. I feel like these moves are very specifically, we're trying to walk a very thin line between people either really liked or really hated these mechanics, and can we try and do something that doesn't feel like we capitulated to people who disliked them, but is going to make this a more enjoyable experience for people who disliked those mechanics, if that makes sense. That total sense. No, uh, honestly, very fair. I I ain't got nothing to say to that. No, very fair. You may very well be bang on the money there. Obviously, you're right. There are people that claim, side-eye, claim they love weapon durability in games. I still... I know it's an absolute statement, and I've said it, and people push back on it, but I still maintain, and I know I'm, tr- I know I'm one hundred percent correct that no one has ever played a video game, enjoyed it, and then said I'd have more fun if my sword broke right now. No one has ever said that. I get what you're saying, but I will also say, in this game, I have genuinely enjoyed my weapons breaking. I agree with you, I probably wouldn't have asked for it to be put in, but it being here, I've gone, I'm having more fun as a result of this being here, because this game's mechanics are all about, here is a bunch of weird bullshit. I really have enjoyed, oh shit, and a, a slot opened up in my inventory, let's make some new bullshit that I ha- that I wouldn't make if I had just a good set of material here. And it has led to me making weird bullshit that I've had a lot of fun with. Sure. I wouldn't have discovered the things that I am finding fun in this game if I had just had a stable roster of of equipment. I would say that you would have if the game had been designed to encourage rather than force. I do believe that. And I believe that would have been a lot more fun for everyone, not just the people that retroactively praise and or defend weapon durability. Weapon durability is never a thing that's requested. It's retroactively accepted. To respond to that, I guess my, my stance here would be, and this is very specifically me, and I'm not saying that weapon durability is across the board good and that everyone should like it and that like everyone should think what I think here, but... I know that uh, no matter how good of a system you you put in place to encourage me, I get into a pattern of using a thing because it's there. And I genuinely think that a system that was trying to go, yeah, you, you don't have to swap out your things, you can just use what you've already got, I probably wouldn't have bothered. with experimenting and i i know that you disagree with this point we've had this conversation about breath of the world i genuinely think i have had more fun with this game because it has periodically gone oop there's a slot open make something to fill that i think i have had more fun with this game as a result of that system Mm. i i know i'm not going to convince you on that but that is how i feel about it i would argue there were other better ways of doing it i basically offer what conrad um uh, was talking about in the I have the opposite 
interaction with that. I have some really cool weapon materials that I'm curious to see what they do, but I don't want to waste them because I don't know what will break. And especially before I I knew the fucking bizarre Octorok thing, I felt very dissuaded from potentially wasting a really hard-earned weapon material. I felt restricted by that. I feel the the breakages, the, the, the fragility of that makes everything feel too precious and too awesome to use. Um, and that's a real problem for me, uh, which is why I think that, conversely, what encouraged me to uh, experiment, and, and this is, not only do I think there are better ways of, of doing it, I think the game's already got it. Like, it's fun. That's what gets me to do it. There is a little horn on the floor. I knocked it off a lizard's head. Oh, what will it do if I stick it to this? That's it. There's my incentive. And you know what? Why can't we have 99 weapon slots? Why not? Dark Souls lets you carry every weapon. I'm not going to disagree with you there. I do kind of wish you could just have no yeah. weapon limitation. <laughs> no limit any you can hold. At the very least, like, have a chest near fast travel points. Like, like normal games. Like, sensible games. Like, there are ways to have mitigated this, I think, that didn't require the extreme. And I think that's the thing, is, is just destroying your weapons is such an extreme, dare I say, uncivilized way of, uh, of, of doing this. I also don't think bows should break because you're not fusing them to anything and the restriction on <laughs> using a bow yeah. is ammunition. It really pisses me off that there are two restrictions to bows. I don't disagree with you on bows. I, yeah. It's absurd. <laughs> Uh, the other knock-on effect which Breath of the Wild has that this has is, and and I guess it's this is a fifty-fifty thing. I feel very dissuaded, or rather, I feel no incentive to explore certain caves or say raid little bokoblin bases and things because the stuff in the chest is so transient. There's no real loot. It's like the orcs in fucking Shadow of War. Any meaning that an important bit of treasure might have had isn't there because it's not important treasure anymore. Unless it's outfits, which I will absolutely go out of my fucking way to get. I, I'm, I've got two pieces of the minor gear and I'm, I'm looking for the little glow-in-the-dark helmet mm. because that's another thing I like that I'll get to. <laughs> Unless it's armour, fighting a little army of bokoblins to open a chest to find there are ten arrows inside just isn't all that rewarding. Uh, whereas if it unlocked something that I could actually keep and, and I felt I could keep or use to some great degree, like that's another thing. Another issue is some of the experimentation, some of the funds taken out when say I get a skeleton arm and I realize I can attach it to another skeleton arm and literally become the long arm of the law. I'm very excited about it. I carry it around for ages because i don't want to break my precious little arm until i really need it and then i find out after hours i'm like right big fight time out come the arms bash 
bash your weapon's badly damaged <laughs> bash smash i think literally the bones last like three hits yeah i was so gutted i will say if you fuse a thing to another thing it will get at least 25 hits before it takes any durability damage it did not take 25 hits it was gone in three my understanding is if you fuse a thing to a thing for the first time, it gets 25 hits of no durability go down. No. If you have found an exception to that, I am intrigued. The arms my understanding went. is you should get 25 hits no matter what two things you fuse together before it breaks. The arms hit. Then again, I think, because there are certain items that do this, I think the first arm broke off after a couple hits, and then the arm that was left smashed very soon after. Because you get that with certain ones. Yeah. Like if you fuse a like a mushroom to a spear, the mushroom will pop. Yeah. I know some of them do when they have like a set effect that goes off. Like one contact, the thing happens. Yeah. But the, the arm, no, it, it went it went after a couple of hits. And I was so sad. I was so sad because I love skeletons. I love skeletons and skeleton-based accessories. I, I very much sort of adhere to the skeleton lifestyle. But, yeah, I was very let down by that. But anyway, anyway, um, all of that is to say that the weapon fusion system, I, on its own merit, ignoring anything it might be doing to mitigate problems or its ties to the durability, on its own merit, I really like it. I really like it. I love the idea that I can put a crab on a shield and obviously i can't properly use that shield because the crab will get knocked off but for most of the game especially because i've ended up with a lot of two-handed weapons so for the most of the game i've just been running around with this little crab on my back and it's awesome or a little eyeball on the end of a spear um like those neat things and then there's that extra excitement of when the weapon actually properly changes like if you put mm. a Lizalfos horn on something and it turns into a proper oh. Lizalfos weapon rather yeah. than just like a spear with a sword duct taped on. That's exciting. Yeah, in terms of those kind of exciting elements, I, I've i been trying to work out since the start of the game what a particular fusion would do because I was convinced it would do something interesting and then I did eventually work out what it did and it's really cool, which was, you know those like bird wing gliders you get near the start of the game? Yeah. I put one of them on a shield and was like, surely I can use this to like glide further or something like that. Yeah. No, no. What you can do is if you shield, like do the jump to shield surf, you jump higher than normal because you've got wings. Oh. So you can use that to jump onto higher ledges than you usually would because you get a little bit of air Ah. when you do the jump into shield surf. And you see that. yeah, I shit don't, like that is fascinating. I don't need shit to break to make me want to do that. Like, that, that's just that's fun. Yeah. Um, like, when I strapped a rocket to a shield for the first time. Like, and just <laughs> yeah, went yeah. right up. Like, yeah, I am going to experiment with that because they made it fun and they didn't... I resent it if I feel forced to do it. If I'm encouraged to do it, I'll do it all day long. It, it's that, uh, what what's the term? Demand avoidance. If the game's telling yeah. you you have to do it, you don't want to do it. <laughs> I do that even with things I, like that yeah. are good for me. Like if, yeah. if, if uh, Feel tell me to like do a walk, I like doing walks. Yeah. But, but then the, so, the little, despite being like a, a yeah. good little sub at all times, there's still this bratty part that's like, I've just been told to do something. Yeah. So 
I understand that entirely, and I under like I one thousand percent understand why this system could set that off for you. And it's now I think about it, it's fascinating that it doesn't set that off for me. There are so many times like people have recommended me video games that I will absolutely love, but because too many people have told yes. me I have to play it, I'm like, no, fuck off. Yeah, never gonna play that great game because you told me to. Very much. But again, I don't feel that way about the weapon system, but I totally understand why why it would do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know what? Again, like, I'm not going to... I have fun with it, but I'm not going to have a mega go. Yeah. If people like the weapon durability, uh, I still maintain everything I've ever said about it, every presumptuous thing. But, you know, if if people are enjoying the swords breaking, whatever. I just think it's a shame that, personally, I have... Oh, yeah, yeah, I was going to say the, the good and the bad thing about loot not being worth it is it does also mean that I... Uh, can mostly avoid all of the fucking one-hit kills in this game. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why the, why this or Breath of the Wild had hit points. They feel like they're in there for a joke. By the way, who whoever did the little game over noise? Like, if Nintendo ever paid royalties, they bankrupt <laughs> every time that played. Um, I yeah. do get very annoyed by the one-hit kills. I, I don't know why they're... The, I don't know what it adds. I'm sure, again, people will say, well, it makes it really tense. And I'm like, I want to go, like, hunting and climbing trees. The answer you're not going to like, they're trying to encourage you to use the food-making system to make food yeah. that will increase your defense. Ugh. And you know what? I wouldn't mind that if they stacked, if I could have two effects on at the same time, but I can't. <laughs> So that's buggered. Don't encourage me to, like, eat mushrooms that make me my defense high, but also force me to replace it if I don't want to freeze to death. Like, I understand trying to bottleneck you into using the, what is basically an alchemy system from, like, Witcher or whatever, but I, I get so pissed off when it, it removes effects. That's so counter to what they're trying to force you to do. Um, but, you know, at least when I really feel like I can't be fucking asked to deal with some of the really annoying monsters, I really can just tell myself, eh, whatever's down there ain't worth it. And most of the time be right. Because if it's super important, I'll eventually find a map or an NPC that will put a little cross on my map and I'll, I'll know that I should go there. So there is that. But speaking of crosses on maps, the one thing I have found myself surprisingly liking is what they call the depths, but I like to call the underdark because that's yeah. what it feels like. I am surprised I like this, but I think I know why. Because the way it's presented, it is presented to you up front as a dangerous, perilous, dark place that you must prepare for. So I don't feel interrupted when I'm trying to do little physics puzzles to cross a river and then I get jumped from behind by a tree that wasn't really a tree. Like, <laughs> that fucking annoys me. But down there, where I'm collecting little blue ghosts to spend to get little black trousers which is the point of the game for me, is to get little black trousers. Well, it was until I got the glove-in-the-dark trousers. Now I need to get the glove-in-the-dark helmet. <laughs> but 
collecting clothes very much like the first game is 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 the objective for me but when i'm down there i'm expecting a harsh time and i'm enjoying that as a result the the tone matches the mechanics down there yes and nothing's getting in the way i'm down there to explore um a dangerous area uh, i'm not up top where there's tons of distractions and things to do and stuff's getting in the way of that the presentation is 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 a big difference maker Plus, there's just something compelling about it. This pitch black place. Um, I get something very satisfying from, like, putting the little glow bulbs on arrows and firing them off to light the area up. I respect the hell out of Nintendo that they barely acknowledged that that underground existed at all before the game came out. They were like, oh, yeah, big islands in the sky, islands in the sky. That's the big deal about this game there's this whole fucking underground system with everything's going to like murder your max health and it's going to kill you. And I was like, that was such a fun little thing to realise how big a whole little thing was there. Yeah, yeah. And I find it so much less annoying down there um, just because it's a very straightforward upfront. Here's what's going to happen and here's what you can do. Um, I, I don't care for some of the areas that feel really like walled off. So, so I feel like I've got to keep going up top to find new holes. Um, I don't mind a bit of that, but like when I've got the location of a new shop to buy little black pants and I can't <laughs> get to it yet, like I find it a little frustrating because there's no major clue sometimes that you can't get past an area oh, yeah. until you've wasted time. Yeah, you will sometimes make quite a lengthy trek before you realise, oh, there's either a wall that's going to stop me getting there, or I'm going to have to take a really big detour to get around to get going that way. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes you commit a lot of time. And it's the resources more than anything that yes. occasionally gets me there. Is like, I used like 100 bright bloom seeds going in a straight line towards this X, and now I've realised I either need to go above ground, or I need to do like a big U-shape to get around a rock wall to keep yeah. going. Which I could probably have saved resources for. But I do really like hanging out down there it's the yeah. one time i'm not screaming at the game i'm not like yelling at link and calling him like dr bollocks on the bakerloo line or lord fuckington or incompetus the magnificent and any other number of insults have come up for the dickhead who can't climb up a wet wall it doesn't rain down there gang ain't no rain in the depths don't tell me there's a place where it rains please as far as i'm aware there's no rain in the depths <laughs> Like I, I, and I, it's beautiful down there. Like the yeah. the lighting, when you sometimes I use the bright bloom seeds when I don't need them. Like yeah. I can navigate the area quite well, but it it just it's a nice atmosphere when it's got that sort of pretty glow to it. And as someone who sort of gets a lot of satisfaction out of uh, filling in unfilled areas, it's just sort of yeah. is a brain thing for me. Seeing this dark patch and just filling it up with this, like, pretty glow, I enjoy that. Overground, you've got, like, 15 towers or something to go to, and that's the whole map done. I appreciate that the underground is, like, a far larger number of things you have to activate to fill in the map that are much more, like, dotted about little things to sort of progress between. Yeah. It it really does make it more of a very gradual completionist quest if you're someone that enjoys having a filled-in map. Yeah. And it has that nice sort of... Almost like it's the same feeling I get from some of the uh, Castlevanias or, or certain Metroidvanias in general, where you're kind of going from save point to save point, and it's kind of 
kicking the shit out of you a little along the way. So there's that little bit of tenseness about like, and a sense of relief when you reach the new area that's going to sort of undo your perma damage that you take down there mm. and, and light the area up and you get that sense of safety. I really do enjoy it down there. Plus, you can ride skeleton horses. You I, can. I'm kind of sad you can't, like, keep one. I understand not bringing it up. To, well, actually, it's a video game. They could let you take the skeleton up if they wanted to. But it would be nice if there was, like, a little depth stable or something, just to have a little skeleton of your own. Oh, that's another thing. Video games, all of you. If I have a horse in a game, right, it will not kill you or break the immersion in any way if i whistle for it and anywhere on the map that little shit spawns behind me this is one real point of frustration i have with this game is having Mm. just replayed breath of the wild recently one of the things they had in the dlc for that game was a uh, a special magical teleporting saddle for your horse where no matter where you were, you press the whistle button and your horse would just magically materialise through magic right next to you. I used the horse so much more because mm-hmm. of that. And to go back to this where I don't have it, and like maybe it's unlockable later, but it is one of those things where I'm like, it was such a nice quality of life thing, I really fucking wish it had yeah. just been here from the start. You know, I would say not only is it a quality of life thing, so many games do it. The outliers are the ones that have horses with fucking hearing ranges. It's such a... I don't even think it's quality of life. I think it's a bare minimum. I think it's a bog standard. And I think games that don't do it are inefficient. They're being in, insufficient and it shouldn't be acceptable. It's this and and uh, Red Dead's Redemption 2, I think, had it. Um, or at the very least, both games do that thing where when you whistle for the horse... It has to get to you in real time and navigate obstacles. And I'm like, I'm so sick of of games making me just stand there. That's not fun. Yeah, 100%. I will not use your horse system if your horse either cannot instantly come to me the place where I want it, or if it takes time to get to me. If I have to hang around and wait for it, or it can't come to me because I'm in the wrong place... I just won't use the horse system. I will do what I've been doing in this game, which is fast travel to a tower, shoot myself in the sky, and then glide to where I'm going. Mind you, I'm sure some people will be like, oh, it's really good, though, because it forces you to glide off a tower. I love all the ways that the game encourages you to glide and not interact with its horse system. I agree with you, but I wish i this is a case where i wish i also could use the horse if i want to like i love just running around in the field and seeing one of those ruin blocks fall from the sky because i'm like oh yes. shit we going up like and that's no matter where i am it's just a perfect bird's eye view to get to anything else i love using that um, in general, I like the application of all of the various abilities that I've collected and the way the game forces me to rethink their application constantly. I really enjoy that. I've said this previously with regard to Burnout Paradise's open world, but if they released a version of this game where I could just select all of the shrines from a list and just do all of the shrines, 10 out of 10. Mm. That I, I would love that. I would adore that. Just make it like Metal Gear Solid, the VR missions, right? 
Yeah. Just send me a glut of shrines and and you I could not be happier with that. Because they are every single one of them that isn't just basic combat stuff is interesting and fun. Yeah. Conversely, when I do them, very, very often I get this sense that I'm doing it wrong. Because everything is so flexible and available that problem solving can be done from so many approaches. And I know that when I have found a way to do something, there's a pretty good chance that it wasn't the way it was intended. And more importantly, it probably would have been easier to do it the way it was intended if only it had occurred to me what that was. And I'll probably never know. So I'm just left with this lingering sense that, you know, you're an idiot, right? See, I don't mind that. Like, I feel like I'm beating the system. Even if I'm doing it worse, I'm like, I'm beating the system. I've fallen on Steph's side of this. I constantly feel like I'm breaking the game and I'm like, oh, oh, you didn't foresee me doing this bullshit video game. Ha <laughs> ha, got past your tricks. Right. Oh, you want me to do a little fucking puzzle where I'm like using the fans to glide? What if I just keep making lava platforms and make my own little tower and climb that, you dickhead i've been here for 20 minutes and i feel great (laughs) i'm winning something else the game has put into focus for me in in a big way and and this is uh this might settle for me one of the great uh nature versus nurture arguments that we have i have always been even going back to the early days of home console gaming been very sympathetic to the challenges that adults and older people have in understanding how to manipulate controls. <laughs> I have I have, you know, observed video games over then they've only gotten more complex over time. I've often said that if you handed me an Xbox One controller in 1983, I'd have been like what the fuck, right? Like what? Yeah. What the fuck? What am I, yeah. I going to do with all of this? Mm-hmm. The proof of this is the response to the first dual stick analog game on PlayStation, where everyone was like, "This control scheme's fucking weird. Don't get it." Mm-hmm. Like that was a whole thing because yeah, it's it's a lot to adjust to sometimes weird controls. But it is, I think, a function of age. Eventually, that this shit just outpaces you. I am struggling constantly. To keep track of which fucking button does what I have yes. died more goddamn times in combat because the layout just refuses to click with me. I think some of it is on the game, though. Like, for example, I keep nearly throwing my weapon instead of picking up an object. I hate that. I hate how that works. But partly... Part of the reason for that is you use the the right bumper to throw a weapon, the left bumper to use the magic power to lift things. But then to turn things, you have to hold the right, right. bumper. Yeah. When you double down on using buttons, I think... I, I don't know how much of that is age and how much of that is just your muscle memory being fucked with. Well, that could very well be, yeah. I mean, for me, it's all of the buttons I have to hold at once. Like, yeah. okay, oh, I'm going to throw something. So I have to pull the right R1 button to throw, and then I have to hold 
up on the directional pad to select an item, but I have to hold both of those things now while I use the right analog to cycle through the things that... Just let me pause it. Just at that point, let me do a quick double tap, and that'll just hold the, the menu up. Or something. There's got to mm-hmm. be some better approach to that. I wish there was some um, customization for the controls as well, because B to yeah. dash and X to jump... I think I think you can switch that. Can you? Because I looked in the menu. The only controls you can swap, there's not like full remapping, but you can swap X and B. How did I not see that? I've been digging in the options. Uh, yeah, it's it swap, uh, swap jump and dash or something. It's oh, cool, fuck. But, yeah. yeah, I was looking for like an actual control customization. I wasn't yeah. looking for the word swap no. jump controls. It- Huh. It is the only thing in the menu that you can actually oh. change. And this is one of the things I complained about in the accessibility review I put up for this, is that you, there is no proper controller remapping, which sucks. But... Oh, wait, no, this is... Yeah. Oh, no, this is... This is not not as good. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's not what I need. Because um, they're both on opposite ends of the layout. Yeah, you want to put them next to each other, don't you? I want to put them next to each other. I would. I wouldn't mind... Like, because I use stealth for, for, for what measure that is a lot less than I yeah. like sprint. Like, I would much rather just click the stick to sprint. This is a persistent Nintendo problem. They just abjectly refuse to offer the what has become an industry standard with basically every other game developer in the industry of just offer controller remapping yeah. as a thing in the menu. Well, why would they? Everyone's told them they're perfect and can do no wrong. I can simultaneously say, I think this game's fucking great, I fucking love it, and also go, Nintendo is failing in some serious ways and, like, really needs to catch up with the times. Yeah, I'm not having a go at you, I'm having a go at, again, just the the general community attitude that shouts down critics um, and makes Nintendo think they're entitled to believe that they're perfect. Nintendo has been convinced of its perfection so much that it won't even adopt an industry standard thing because it's above that. You're absolutely right. They need industry standards when it comes to controls. The control scheme they have is absurd. It's absurd. Beta sprint and X to jump. Or the other way round. That's X to sprint if you swap them. It is X to sprint. Yep. <laughs> I'm X aware. to sprint. What? You might as well ask me to fucking drive a block of cheese to the shops. Don't know where that came from. So, to to chime in a little bit with how I'm feeling about this game, because, like, I've put a fuck ton of more time into this since last week, and I think I have, like, a pretty solid sense of where I feel on it. So, this game is not perfect. There are things I definitely could, you know, complain about and things I I would go, you know, there are things that are not perfect. But as someone that got a lot of fun out of Breath of the Wild, despite it not being what I thought I wanted out of a Zelda. Tears of the Kingdom, for me, has really addressed, like, the things that I wished were better about Breath of the Wild, and the things that, for me, were the points of frustration. And this isn't going to be the experience for everyone, but for me, the big things that annoyed me about Breath of the Wild were that so much of that game's narrative felt like it cared an awful lot more about people who'd been dead a hundred years, that you didn't get to be a part of their story, but we're going to tell you, like, ah, ah, Link and them were such good friends. And, like, completely to the detriment of Link having tangible relationships with the characters 
that he was actually interacting with in the world. Yeah. And I think that that has been really, really well addressed here. Um, without going too much into spoilers, because like this game's not been out that long and like not talking too much about narrative, I think that this game does a much better job uh, in narrative and mechanical ways of making the people who are your companions on this world-saving adventure feel like an actual tangible part of your story that you are, you know, rewarded for investing time into adventuring with. I like that this game expands a lot on this idea of there are other fucking people in Hyrule who recognise their world is going to shit and want to do something about it. Talking about some, like, light mechanical stuff, you can bump into just random groups of Hillian villagers with, like, mops and a bucket on their head going, there's fucking monsters over there harassing people, we're gonna go fight them, do you want to come help? It's things like this that really give this Hyrule more of a sense of, like, they actually have shit going on. And I like that most of the towns now have at least one big multi-stage side quest for the town that is like, we got a bunch of little problems going on that are building up to this one big thing, and there's a tangible reward of some cool piece of armor or something that is unique to this town that you got because you solved all the town's problems. Yeah, I like and that. S- yeah. <laughs> you know yeah, why. <laughs> yeah, because... Because you got a cool fucking hat, didn't you? Fucking lovely hat. But, like, that quest for the ostentatious mushroom hat is a good example, I think, where it's like, hey, there's a woman who would like to be mayor of a little town because she wants mushroom fashion to be more prominent. Go deal with this whole town's worth of bullshit and at the end get a fancy hat. And I, like, I think that this does that a lot better than, than Breath of the Wild did. I appreciate that a lot. I have been really this game has taken some mechanical hard turns as i have explored more of like the plot stuff that have been genuinely really surprising and i've had a lot of fun with i'm finally getting like far enough into this that i'm playing around with the like creating machines stuff a bit more and the whole banjo kazooie stuff yeah the nuts and bolts i want to describe a thing i made on stream the other night that Mm -hmm. like really made this game click for me I made an automated murder tank that could track down where nearby enemies were and move to them by itself and then target them with little targeting things and shoot them with little cannons I'd set up on it. And I just hit it and let it go. It wiped out a whole little camp of goblins, And I was just like stood on a hill watching going, ha ha ha, my murder machine is successful. <laughs> I'd not tried to make anything like that and everything worked exactly how I expected it to. And it went and did a cool thing. And I just got to watch my machine work and be very cool. It's moments like that that have made me really go, you know what, there is more going on here than I thought there was. There's some genuinely impressive stuff. Like, the building stuff is impressive. I'll give it that. It's a mechanic I didn't really engage with in my first, like, several days with the game. Uh, Beyond, I want to get to that high up thing, I'll stick a balloon and some jets and, and, like, aim for the thing. I'm starting to experiment with it more now. And, like, I think it's done a really good job with the shrines, showing you little isolated bits of what is possible to get your brain going, oh, I'm a little less overwhelmed. You've shown me pieces of how this could slot together. I'll try doing something with that. And it generally working how the shrines have sort of taught you it will. And I have been playing this basically nonstop, and I am really hooked on it. 
it like it it has problems. I'm not going to deny that, but those problems melt away when I'm playing. I just have not stopped being absorbed in this world. I am not necessarily absorbed in it. It does make great stream fodder, though. Like it is a thing yeah. to you can just pop on a stream and play for a few hours and yeah. you know and have an entertaining There'll be time. Novel stuff to see. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I was I was surprised that you came back to it because you were like, yeah, I played for ninety minutes. That's about all I've, I want to see. Linda's but... playing it, and so there are things to talk about with it. You know where that's concerned. I can find something and and point it out, or you know, I'll have done a shrine when she's coming into it, and so I can watch her struggle for a little bit, and <laughs> you know, and and then gently prod in a direction, and that's so that's satisfying. Uh, there, it's and it's again. There's a lot to love about the game, and for people who are not me, generally speaking, I still find it to be pretty tedious and frustrating most of the time. One thing I will say about running it on emulation is the underground does not render properly. Yes, that that was the one area of the game that apparently before launch people on emulators were having trouble with. Yeah, and and I don't know if, if there's been updates or somebody's found a, an emulator that does it better, you know, or a way of dealing with it. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's not up to this point unplayable. I can't imagine trying to do combat down there <laughs> um, with the way it is. Which is a shame because, as Steph was saying, the underground is... It's whole own fascinating little thing. Yeah, I mean, it definitely seems interesting. I can barely sort of tell where there is gloom to avoid. That's helpful. <laughs> I can't tell where there are walls. <laughs> uh, but I can see pretty much everything. I just can't see where the walls are. <laughs> and I'll go in and I'll light something up just to verify that I'm not going to step into some gloom. But other than that, yeah, yeah, it's 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 strange. It's definitely a whole other world down there when you're emulating. But I like it. I, I, I like the game. It's not that it's... I just don't want to play it too much. I'm going to get sort of burnt out on wandering around and finding shrines, as I did with Breath of the Wild, and that's fine. God, I would love them to release a shrine pack, though. God, that'd be so good. That would make me very happy. I was streaming this the other day, and someone made an observation that did click with me, which is, if you did something that was just like a shrine pack for this, and, like, stitched them all together, you'd basically be making a bunch of portal test chambers. And I'm like, that's not a wild comparison no, to make. No, it's not. It's absolutely not. Yeah. And I would support that decision, yeah. too. Give me more portal ch test chambers. Do a proper crossover. Oh. <sighs> yeah. Ganondos. Oh, no. <laughs> this is this is the kind of, like, nonsense physics system where you could just throw a portal gun into this and it'd, stuff would happen. Mm -hmm. uh, um, so we've been talking about this for an hour one last thought if i may like i know i've said a lot and thank you for indulging me <laughs> i was streaming it the other night and someone informed me about what people have been doing with the koroks <laughs> you can yep. pick up yeah. and attach to things oh, no. yeah i've I, the the review header image might be of the one i crucified <laughs> My my favorite my 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 favorite one I've seen is someone who got a Korok to their friend, 
by making a sled out of like 15 rockets and putting the Korok in there and just hitting it and watching the Korok just fly right past their friend up a slope and miles up into the sky. I was like, mm. That was the one thing that I, when it, when it happened in this game, I was like, oh, okay, that, they got me. All right, I discovered something and felt a moment of, of joy. But putting a rocket on a shield... For the first time, yeah, I, uh, that that's just so the rocket shield is fun. so delightful. And now I just want to carry around a rocket shield at all times, just as an escape. Oh, I constantly have one in my pockets, just just in yep. case. Yep, I, I just it's love always that. good to have a rocket in your pocket. Mm-hmm. Oh, right, this uh, yeah, a little bit of innuendo. Uh, so. Quickly, uh, because we've we've been going an hour. Yeah, I have one other game I've played this week that I do want to talk about a bit, and I might like talk about it a bit more next week, uh, mm-hmm. just because we got more time. Uh, I spent some time this week playing through a game that I played a demo of a, a while back called Humanity. Uh, do you remember me talking about this? The the sort of three D Lemmings esque mm. game where you're a ah, ghost dog leading yes. all the people around. So that is out now, and I played through the whole thing. It was maybe. Eight to ten hours. Um, it is a mechanically incredibly satisfying, if a bit di- like a bit nail bitingly difficult in places puzzle game that does a pretty good job of using its narrative to justify mechanical additions in ways that are that help escalate the uh, uh, emphasize the sense of escalation. Um, so I talked about this a little bit uh, uh, when, when the demo came out. Uh, this is a game where you're a little ghost dog and you're trying to get a bunch of humans to the end of a level by doing little commands that you put down on the floor that'll be things like, if you step on this square, turn this way. If you step on this square, do a, do a jump, things like that. I talked at the time when I played the demo that the game was going to be pretty one note narratively in that it seemed like it was going to be, hey, humanity's pretty disposable for the betterment of a select few. And... There's definitely some of that narratively going on, but there is also a much bigger, much more nonsensical, elaborate, metaphysical nonsense plot happening that I genuinely really enjoyed, despite having some moments of, okay, where the fuck are we going from here? I don't know what you where this is leading. I'm gonna just gonna have to trust you that this is gonna land somewhere. I maintain that this is a really good showpiece, this game, of what you can achieve when you don't worry so much about using these like fancy big powerful consoles just to push extra resolution character models and environments this game constantly throws hundreds and hundreds of character models on screen interacting with physics being real-time simulated how they're interacting with other things in the environment and that feels really impressive I wish we had more video games that made use of you've got like a thousand plus little guys doing stuff at once and that's all being simulated and that's what we're using gaming hardware to do. That never really lost its novelty and I think that the game does a really good job of escalating as you get further in to go, oh, you think this is the most things we can have moving around doing stuff on screen at one time? Oh no, no, let us up the ante a bit. Hmm. The game has some optional missions that will usually like branch off uh, from from the main path. Some of those are fucking ridiculously difficult. 
absolute fucking brain breakers. There's one of them that, like, it was completely optional. I did not have to do this puzzle. I spent two hours trying to solve this puzzle. Jane had, like, paper and a notepad out and was trying to solve it (laughs) on paper. And it was such a simple puzzle. It was, here is a rectangular room where there are two blocks. They can be moved uh, on these, uh, on the, the tiles that look like this, or ones you can push them on. You've got to push these two to the opposite corners of where they've started. But because you're having to lay down all of your movement pieces before you just say go and it all starts happening, you have to make sure your paths to move these blocks never interact with where you're going to later be walking. It was a really simple puzzle. It was just move two blocks to opposing corners from where they started without doubling up on yourself with where you're walking. Took me like two hours and I felt so good for solving it, but it fucking broke my brain. But thankfully, the the puzzles that have those kind of spikes are off on little tangential, like, this is optional, don't worry about it. I really enjoy this game. Uh, It has been a while since I've played, like, a puzzle game that has compelled me this strongly to see it through to the end. There are hint videos if you get stuck on a level and are just like, I just can't fucking see what to do. They will help you get to the end of a level without showing you a route that gets you the optional little objectives. They'll go, if you just want to complete this level, here's a way to do it. I do find that those hint videos are a little bit overwhelming in that they will just show you the entire puzzle solution start to finish, making quick cuts between anything that isn't you putting down a new little marker for something to happen. And that can feel a bit overwhelming when you're like, okay, how do I start doing this puzzle? Okay, okay, you've shown me like eight steps already. I appreciate that it's there, but it's a little much to take in sometimes. But yeah, if you like the idea of a slightly narratively surreal puzzle game that is hundreds of people that you are lemmingsing in a slightly dystopian context that never outstays its welcome with any one idea and has a lot of new things to throw at you just at just the right sort of pacing. Humanity's really fun. It is a really neat little puzzle game. It does sound very interesting. Yeah. I played this for 10 hours rather than playing Tears of the Kingdom and didn't just resent it for not being Tears of the Kingdom when I was done, so that's a good sign. That is very high praise. Anyone got anything else they want to quickly talk about, or should we rattle off a couple of bits? Um, I would just like to remind everybody who who, uh, likes Zelda but isn't necessarily getting hit by Tears of the Kingdom, Alundra still exists. It's still the Ooh. best Zelda game ever made. And you can go play that. Ooh. It's fucking good. So I've just got to make you right on that. It's fucking good. The only knock on it is it has jumping in a top-down perspective game. It, it, that that find your shadow and land on the thing is it, it is always a bad time. And it continues to be a bad time here. But everything else about that game is fucking flawless. The writing is... In the, the Western localization is incredible. They have put so much, like, personality into these characters and the way that they're written. That is joyful. Um, and, yeah. and, and helps you get just, like, super invested in every one of these NPCs before something horrible happens to them. <laughs> it is truly a work of art and and people should play alundra widely available yeah. emulated <laughs> uh yeah so we'll, we'll we'll crack through a couple of newsy bits there's there's a bunch of stuff this week that we can just very quickly get out of the way um 
continued updates about Saudi Arabia pouring money into uh, every yeah. video game studio out there. Saudi Arabia's public investment fund has increased its stake in EA. So another big, big chunk of money going into the video games industry from Saudi Arabia because they're trying to get their, their hands into every potential uh, studio out there at the moment, it seems. Some more updates quickly about the Xbox attempted acquisition of Activision Blizzard. As we talked about previously, the CMA here in the UK, the Competitions and Market Authority, did not approve the acquisition. Uh, members of Parliament here in the UK have clearly bought in on some of Microsoft's uh, threatening language a bit, where they were like, oh, 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 UK, you're telling us you're closed for business, blah, blah, blah. But politicians basically parroted those lines back at the CMA going... Uh, Microsoft telling us we're closed for business. Why would you uh, decl- decline to let them do the acquisition? They're fucking Tories. Yeah, they are fucking Tories. Uh, to their credit, the CMA did stand their ground and were basically like, I understand the inference you're getting at, but our job as the CMA is to look at what is unhealthy for for an industry not to capitulate to their 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 fears and threats. I read a piece on Forbes, uh, like about the, uh, and just like staggeringly, <laughs> like I'm so confused why they wouldn't approve this, you know, on the basis of cloud yeah. gaming. And it's like, oh, there's hardly any cloud gaming, and all of these big companies have failed to do the cloud games. Yes, because it's going to happen. They all invested yeah. in the space to try to be the one that Microsoft is now attempting to do. Like, they are now, yeah. they are the one that is like, I'm successful enough to pull this off. And whether or not that's true remains to be seen. Yeah. But, uh, yes, that's that's the whole point, is that all of these huge yeah. fucking players tried mm-hmm. to enter the space and couldn't. One of them has reached a point where they think they can succeed, and this will guarantee that there will never be another competitor that can come up to challenge it. That's the point. It is. I. It. It, it is the future of this shit. I'm so. It is. Like, and we all know it. It is inevitable. It may not be this year or next year, but within some years, that will happen. And the way you deal with a monopoly is you cut its balls off before it's a monopoly. You, right. you don't try to fix the monopoly once it's a monopoly because then guess what? They have all of the resources of the fucking monopoly to fight you. Yeah. To quickly read something from the CMA that I think summarizes their pushback pretty well. I would challenge the premise that there that there is an impact on international confidence on doing business in the UK, suggesting conversely uh, that it would not inspire confidence in the UK if it was seen to be turning a blind eye to anti-competitive mergers. Yeah, a country that will let you create monopolies wildly is not a safe country for a non-monopoly to invest in. No, it's not. Um, so that happened uh, on the same week that the EU has approved uh, the, the deal. The EU's regulator has, uh, you know, said, yeah, go ahead. As far as we're concerned, it's fine. Uh, again, the CMA has slammed Europe's decision and gone... Hey, we've made we've made a case that this is like going to create a monopoly in cloud gaming, and we're really disappointed that you are letting them do it. So, like, the CMA isn't backing down from the fact that like it doesn't think this should happen, and I I'm glad that there is one regulator that is you know digging their heels. Yep, in it. I I have a tremendous amount of respect for that. Yeah, 
And it's in Britain. <laughs> yeah, I did not think fucking Britain would be no. the place where this would... The pushback would occur. Other stories while we're talking about Activision Blizzard... Um, Overwatch 2, the sequel to Overwatch, it's largely Overwatch with more characters. Uh, when it was announced back in 2019... One of the things that was promised is like, hey, here's why you should, why we're making a sequel and not just adding DLC to the existing Overwatch you already own. A big part of that was a player versus environment PVE hero component that would let you do narrative-driven multiplayer experiences uh, that were going to be like a big part of how uh, the lore of the of the new game was unlocked and like how the story was told, and it was going to be like. Basically, the story mode for Overwatch. And Overwatch 2's been out for a while now, and that mode just hasn't been available. Yeah, it's not coming. It's been cancelled. Uh, the main Fucking the main hell. thing that Amazing. people were told was going to be the reason this had to be a sequel and couldn't just be DLC for Overwatch, it's been cancelled. Wow, just, just something dishonest and misleading from... From Activision yeah. Blizzard, who who can yeah. you trust? They're saying it's being done for the good of the game and its live multiplayer component, <laughs> uh, but not really much Fucking more hell. than that. They're not explaining it other than it was going to happen. It's not now. Here's a new roadmap of content we're now saying will come in the future, but you're going to have to believe us. We won't just cancel that too. Christ. Other news on this front. F- fun bit of news. You know how we've been talking about Redfall being kind of shit. Uh, yeah, because it, it's fuck all. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, that came as a bit of a surprise to head of Xbox, Phil Spencer. Yeah? He thought it was good, did he? So, talking to Kinda Funny in an interview recently, Phil Spencer said that Xbox had planned for Redfall to land with an average review score double digits higher than the one it actually got. Yeah. Um, double digits! Wait, so you thought it was getting a 10 out of no, 10? No, 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 no. They're talking about the Metacritic average. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. sorry. I I, I misheard. No. I was like, I, I'm assuming he, he expected it to be at least a 10 out of 100 higher than it was, if not more. Um, and there's yeah. something kind of interesting yeah. here about this. So Phil Spencer talks in this interview about the fact that they did something called internal mock reviews, uh, which... Usually is not an internal process, and I'll get to that in a second. Uh, mock, re- mock reviews are basically, like, usually an external process. Uh, and I know this because I've done mock reviews for games. Um, where you get reviewers in from, mm-hmm. like, you know, who've done work for various outlets, and they play an early build of the game and go, if you reviewed this today exactly as it is, like, don't hold back, what would your review be? Your, your pros, your cons, what score would you give it? What would your review be? So that we can look at that and go here's what we need to fix, here's what the big issues are, here's like where the spread of opinion's likely to be. And you do this externally, because you get people whose job it is to be reviewers who have worked with outlets review scales to get a sense of what outlets might give it. Well, and you also do it because you don't want the people who are in directly invested in the making of the product to be the ones to make that assessment. Yeah, you get people who are outside, who are not part of that process, who haven't seen the road it took to get here, who are just like, here's the game, what do you think? In a vacuum. It seems like they did mock reviews internally for this game, (laughs) and their mock reviews 
suggested it would score higher than it did, presumably because people who A, had probably worked on the game, and B, were not game reviewers, were the ones doing that process. Um, So, yeah, it's, it's a thing that usually is done by outside agencies for a reason. My understanding of someone who's done mock reviews is it's very rarely a surprise for a developer when a game reviews negatively. They usually know to see it coming, and like their job at a certain point is either we delay this and fix it, or we work on how to market it regardless. Yeah. And to be caught off guard by a low score is something that doesn't happen as often as you would think in this industry. But if you've played Redfall, <laughs> you might not be surprised that they might not be playing with a full deck in terms of uh, their perspective of what makes a good game. I'm No, I'll tell you what, actually. I am surprised by this because the game feels so unfinished and so rushed, at least as far as Arcane goes, they have to know. Because I, yeah. I, I feel like they didn't try their best with the best resources available. It seems like if anyone tried at all, it was with barely anything. So for, for anyone to think that this was going to be good, because it's so yeah. threadbare, and it's so... Bro- so Like, I did a Jimquisition on, on bad PC ports on Monday. And I spent a large chunk of that talking about how bad Redfall was. I captured some footage for that. The first time I captured some footage, the first thing I saw were two vampires unable to pathfind to get to me. And I thought, brilliant. Using that. In the same footage, I went where I already knew there was a problem I could show. Which was uh, a mission marker above a character's head that wouldn't go away. Now, that footage ended up unusable, so I had to go get more. Not only did I straight away find more vampires who couldn't pathfind, when I went back to get the mission marker, which is all I wanted, I got the bonus of that NPC standing next to a clone of himself. The bad footage, or the footage of Redfall being bad that's in that video, I didn't have to try to find. Some of it I didn't even want, because the degree to which it was broken detracted from the point in the video I was making about a certain breakage. It's so broken, it was too broken for me to even show the breakages. That game is fucked, and I am stunned that anyone thought, even based on a mock review, I am unless Arcane was doing some sort of, like, scam it was like an always sunny in philadelphia style scheme to hide from everyone else how bad the game was the only thing i would posit is that sometimes when doing a mock review you will be told to not factor in certain elements into how you score it because they are elements that are planned to be different by the time the game launches right and my only thought is were some of these elements that are bad in this game present, and the people being asked to posit scores were told, don't factor this in because it will be different, and it never got different, and that jump in score that was sort of accounted for never occurred. Fucking amazing. I will say, it's interesting to see someone at a studio be 
candid about the fact they were caught off guard by a low score. It's not a thing you see a lot of. Other than that, a couple of very quick things we'll, we'll get through. Mm-hmm. This is one that broke just before we started recording, and it's fascinating. Sony is obliged to refund players' money for FIFA Ultimate Team foot packs after an Austrian loot box ruling goes unchallenged. So here's the deal. A court in Hermagor in Austria ruled that FIFA's foot packs violated the country's gambling laws. Basically, they had several plaintiffs who had, in quotes, gambled away hundreds of euros on uh, foot packs when the uncertain monetary value of the packs reportedly violated the Austrian Gaming Act. Basically, these things are gambling, people don't know what monetary value of stuff they're going to get when they spend money, that's gambling. As a result, the court alleged that loot boxes, and specifically these ones in FIFA, should be classified as illegal gambling. Mm -hmm. Part of this is that Sony was being asked to be the ones to refund players for these foot packs because they were bought using PSN credit on PlayStation. PlayStation enabled the purchase of these packs. Sony would, like, was being told, you have to refund these people for, for, for their packs. Sony had the opportunity to appeal this ruling, but they have not done so. As a result, Sony now has to repay money to those, those players who were part of this lawsuit, which is interesting because they are not the game's developer, and that does set up an interesting precedent. Hmm. Now, the amount of money that Sony has to rep- repay in this case is pretty small. Um, one of the plaintiffs has to be repaid the equivalent of £290. So, like, the amount of money in this one case isn't going to hurt Sony that badly, but it does create a precedent. And that's what I find really interesting here, is it has created a precedent that Sony, as a digital store owner, is responsible for refunding players who have lost their money on loot boxes in games sold on the PlayStation Store. That is interesting. I am honestly fucking surprised that Sony did not fight back on that, because that is a precedent I am surprised that they're okay with being set. But at the same time, like, the amount of the damages is so low that, like, why not just settle before it got to be that point? It's such a a minor, minor amount of money to, to just be done with it, I would think. So I don't know if there are other forces at work that, you know, maybe this is more uh, uh, political on the part of the the people aggrieved or the the legal team, and they actually want to fight loot boxes? I I don't know, but it's fascinating. It's interesting because, like, this is one particular plaintiff, but apparently the the law firm that represented them, uh, Padronus, has several hundred other potential plaintiffs that have come forward with similar cases, which means potentially several hundred more attempts to get Sony to refund money that will further entrench this well, as a precedent. Well, that's also interesting, because like here that would be settled by class action. So I'm wondering what the Australian yeah. court system... Like, that's... I, I need to learn so much more about this, because it's fascinating. Yeah, this popped up, like, minutes before we started recording, but... It is a really interesting story that I definitely want to take some time to read more into. Um, uh, we got a couple of very like light-hearted things to end on. We got some nice, silly little fun to finish. There is a, a horror movie starring Russell Crowe that has just come out called The Pope's Exorcist. 
And a big plot point in this film is apparently the existence of the Spanish Inquisition. No one expects the Spanish Inquisition. Well, no one's going to expect it given the uh, set design that went on here, because um, clearly someone googled the word Inquisition on the production team for this uh, movie and saw an image and went, yep, that's the logo of the Spanish Inquisition. And started, like, you know, etching it into stone for set design and stuff. And it appears quite prominently a lot in this film. It's a logo for the Inquisition from Dragon Age Inquisition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. an eyeball with some tentacles coming out of it and a sword through it. We get one of these every Love few it. years. You know, there was the there was something from Halo some years back yeah. that wound up being... Uh, in I, I, it might have been a like a right wing propaganda film. I feel like that's how that one came up. Yeah. yeah, every once in a while we'll see some of this iconography get sort yeah, of stolen and, and tossed in. Uh, there was that that book a while ago that like uh, gave gave uh, it was a medieval setting and they were describing how to uh, dye dye clothes a different color and they mentioned uh, blue choo choo jelly, which mm. is how you dye yep. clothes in Breath of the Wild. <laughs> But yeah, that's that's just an amusing thing where someone clearly googled Inquisition symbol or Inquisition sigil or something and spent a lot of money putting that all over a Russell Crowe horror film. Love it. And the last little thing we got this week is we've had the ESRB rating come through for Starfield, that big uh, Bethesda space RPG. And one of the things we've learned from it is that uh, not only will players be able to have sex, but there will be... Lines of suggestive material that comes after the sex. Ooh. Um, and we have some examples of post-sex dialogue from Starfield that I would like to share because they're beautiful. And if you haven't heard them yet, I think you're going to have a good time here. Okay. Life is a sexually transmitted disease that's 100% fatal. <laughs> okay. F- fucking hell. I'm all for getting a little wild. But next time, let's try it without the jetpacks. Okay, okay. I'm sorry. I'm taking yeah. note because we might be speaking with Jonathan later, so I'm taking yeah. notes for some pickup lines. Or just the very, the very bland talking about seeing stars. Whoa, that was amazing. C- did you get it? Because you're in space. That's what people say when they fuck Commander Sterling. The stars. All right, so this shit with our phones listening to us has to stop, okay? I don't know which app on my phone is picking up my bedroom patter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, was, was that was, was was that you saying the line about, about life being a sexually transmitted disease? Oh, yeah, disease? Ab- that yes, that's, absolutely, that's my... How, how is that sex talk? How is that post-coital... Life is a sexually transmitted disease that's 100% fatal. Well, I know they've not been listening to me because it just wasn't one long apology. (laughs) For being so fucking good. Sorry. Uh, So, yeah, look forward to Starfield with some apparently fantastic post-sex dialogue we can look forward to it's... you know what that that would compel me to <laughs> engage in the sex uh whatever content that they have in the, that now you've 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 hooked me it's I'm the sold. first time a sex scene is in a game has sounded compelling like yeah. interesting the one where it talks about like let's try it next time without the jetpacks i'm like are we gonna have zero gravity jetpack sex because if so i want to see how you're gonna pull that off i'm curious you don't want to pull it off in zero gravity. Yeah. <laughs> Till you get it in your eyes. 
So there we go. We did it. Yeah. We done. We done. We done one. We did an episode. Excellent. Well, people might want to know what else has been done, Laura, and I know that you've got the scoop on that. If you could uh, illuminate us all, please. Well, you can find all the stuff I've done at Laura K. Buzz all, all across the internet. LauraKBuzz.com, Laura K. Buzz on Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, TikTok, Patreon. That's the one that pays the bills. Uh, the big thing, we're about three weeks away from the Access Ability Summer Showcase. It's taking place on Friday, June 9th at 4pm UK, 11am Eastern, 8am Pacific. Come tune in on either Twitch or YouTube. Uh, to see a bunch of trailers and announcements and interviews, all to do with video games that are uh, either recently released or upcoming, that have really cool stuff going on for disabled players. We've got a uh, British Sign Language version, an American Sign Language version, an audio-described version of the presentation that will be available at the same time. That's in, like, three weeks. I really hope people check it out, because I've been working my socks off on this, and I'm, I'm really proud of how it's coming together. Uh, what about you, Conrad? Where are you on the internet? Oh, you can find me at Conrad Zimmerman on Twitter and Instagram. You can hang out with me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash thatconradzimmerman. And you can buy all sorts of anti-capitalist propaganda and other nonsense, including official Jimquisition merchandise at mercenarycreative.com. And everything I do online gets supported through Patreon at patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? James Stephanie Sterling. This is true. This is true. Patreon.com slash Jimquisition. Uh, that's how you support this and uh, the video series and reviews and all of that. Um, I also live stream Twitch TV slash Jim Sterling. Uh, my current wrestling dates are June uh, not, June 8th is in York. That's True Grit Wrestling. June 10th in Blackpool, Pride of the Ring 2, um, that's PCW, um, buy tickets dot at slash PCW, and then, um, June 11th is Sovereign Pro Wrestling in Manchester, at SovPro on Twitter, um, so that's, like, and, and then in the middle of that, on the 9th, is that evening with Commander Sterling, uh, which I'll get details of soon, so, yeah, big four-night run of Commander Sterling stuff coming up in June, um, I don't think I've got anything else in my... No, I don't think so. So, yes, uh, thank you all for listening and supporting and all of that. And we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.